Today's scripture reading is from Acts 9, verses 7 to 20. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Ananias, I'm sorry, on Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks be to God for this scripture. And I got to tell you, Ebenezer, I have the privilege and blessing of preaching this scripture every year, no matter what church I find myself at, uh, no matter what time of the year it is. There is always a moment where I get a chance to preach the story of Saul and Ananias. Uh, before we get into today's message, will you join me in giving God thanks and praise this morning? incredibly grateful for a moment to look into God's word and to see how we may be inspired in our lives. Got a question for you this morning. Got a question for you. How many of you all have ever fallen from a horse before? I know it's a weird question. Just go with it, okay? <laughs> let, let, let us see those hands again. You all take a look around at the number of people who've fallen from horses. I promise I'm asking this question for a reason. Well, where I where I grew up, uh, Detroit, Michigan, that is, uh, you all know that. If you don't, uh, now you know. <laughs> I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. We didn't see many horses. We didn't live near farms. I'm a city slicker, right? So we didn't spend many. Uh, we didn't spend much time in the country or on the countryside. We did have family in Mississippi, and we would oftentimes go and see them. They had horses, um, and we also had an opportunity to see horses whenever we visited the traveling rodeo that came to town and at the Pontiac Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan, where my Michiganders at in the house. <laughs> That's right. So we would visit the. Tra- 
traveling rodeos and I oftentimes during these times would see people fall from horses and oxen and, and all types of other animals that would come to the rodeo shows. I've never been thrown from a horse before in a literal sense, uh, but I hear that it's actually quite painful and it's not a pretty experience uh, by show of hands. Yeah, I hear that it's, I hear that it's not a great experience. I hear that it's painful. It's scary. Some say that your life flashes before your eyes. That's pretty unique. <laughs> um, and then others say that it's just quite painful. Um, it's painful to get up from. People say that uh, the pain, it takes them at least a couple weeks to months or up to a couple months to recover from that pain from being thrown from a horse. Almost like being in a car accident, being hit from the back. This is what I've heard about being thrown from a horse. Again, I've not been thrown from a horse before uh, in a literal sense, but I have been knocked off my high horse before. <laughs> I've been knocked off my high horse being knocked off your high horse, you probably have heard of this idiom before. Um, and this idiom is one that many people use when people are in an argument and they're trying to say that one person uh, who's experiencing a little bit of cognitive dissonance, right, is is a living up to a life of morality or is the top code or authority in morality um, and is judging people for not living up to that code. So basically saying that you're not living the life like you say that you're supposed to, that you, that you proclaim that you're living. You're not walking the walk. You're not talking the talk, right? You're proclaiming that you are the standard of morality when really you're not and you have a lot to learn and you have a long way to go. And so the idiom that people use is you need to come down off your... That's right. You probably have heard it before. You've probably said that to somebody. Pastor Donovan was knocked off his high horse. I oftentimes need to be knocked off my high horse. I got to admit that. But I remember one time I was knocked off my high horse and this couldn't be more of a reality than this moment. I was preparing for a homecoming dance. I won't tell you the year, but just know that I was preparing for a homecoming dance. And my friends and I, we decided to meet at uh, one of one of his house, one of his homes. And, and when we get there, uh, everybody's getting dressed. I'm the last to come downstairs. And my friends, as I'm coming down the stairs, they stop. They take a pause. Some of their mouths drop. And some of them look at me and they're like, what in the world do you have on? You are not going to the homecoming dance looking like that. I got to tell you, this is a true story. In fact, when I shared this story earlier, I told my, uh, my, my, my pastor friends that every time I, I just get so, I feel with so much laughter every time I tell this story because it's so hilarious. It's a true story. So I come downstairs and I'm like, what, are you, what do you have on? You're not going with us to the homecoming dance looking like this. You need a makeover. So they decided to give me a makeover. You know, Pastor Donovan thought that he had the marker cornered on high fashion. I thought that I had, I thought that I was the top authority on high fashion. I thought that I had it all together. And I got to tell you my get up. It oftentimes was a Ralph Lauren polo shirt and khaki cargo shorts or denim cargo shorts. I kept it consistent with the cargo, right? <laughs> had to keep it consistent. So I had khakis and denim that I would oftentimes switch, swap out depending on the season with my Ralph Lauren polo shirts. Shirts. That was high fashion for me. I had the market corner. I was the top authority until homecoming night. 
until homecoming night. So I agreed to it. Uh, and then days or weeks later, uh, they said, well, we're going to give you that promise makeover that we said that we would uh, help you with. And they did. They suggested a, a style of haircut that I still wear 20 years later. Uh, they suggested different uh, textures of clothing, uh, different patterns of color that they said, said that I should wear that match my skin. They said, it's more than just putting on clothes. You got to think about color and texture and things that go well and complement you. And I said, okay. I'll think about myself a little bit differently. So they did. They gave me a makeover. And I got to tell you, after the makeover and of wearing those clothes and after wearing this haircut that I've had for the last 20 years, I got to say that I like myself. In fact, you should call them and tell them that I wore a corduroy shirt to preach in. <laughs> you should. <laughs> you should. <laughs> tell them. Pastor Donovan's back. He's back in high fashion. <laughs> no. This moment uh, where I experienced this makeover was a transformative moment for me. It was where I learned to dress myself in unique ways, in ways that really showed my personality in bright ways, the ways that I would match the different seasons. And I liked myself in learning this. I I was transformed fashionably. And so when I reflect back on these moments, it makes me think about our life of faith and the ways that we're transformed. And what transformation in our lives breed. And how God sometimes uses transformative experiences to help us realize broader and deeper realities. But not only that, but to change our hearts. To to set us in a new direction. And to fill us with things that we never knew before. But more importantly, to show ourselves, to show us how we can live better lives. And how we may like how we look afterward. After that transformative experience, I think that this is true that I think this is true of today's text and review. I think this is true of today's message and Saul's experience as he encounters Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit on the way to Damascus, as he is seeking to jail Christians or followers of the way, followers of Christ. These people who are a part of this brand new movement being transformed, participating in healings or experiencing healings themselves. Paul is on a journey to jail or to kill these Christians who is experiencing this new thing. But then he has this encounter with Jesus and his brother, well, not his actual brother, but a a fellow disciple of Christ named Ananias who ushers in this transformative experience, who helps him to realize that a different you is possible. Paul leans into this different version of himself and then gets set on a brand new direction. That's what we're going to think about today. And as we're reviewing that today, I have three things that I want to share with you that I think God is still doing in light of uh, this series, New Year, Same God. We're in our last installment of our sermon series, New Year, Same God. And today I have three things that I want to share that I think God is still doing throughout time. From the beginning of humanity, throughout generations, and even up to this day with you and I as fellow disciples or as aspiring Christians, depending on where you are on the discipleship spectrum. That God is still doing these three things. I'll give them to you and then we'll rock and roll together. I believe that God is doing, number one, showing himself to us in brand new ways throughout human history. That God, number two, is filling us with his heart. And then number three, God is leading us in love. God is leading us in love. Let us pray. Dear God, we're so grateful for you. So grateful for all the ways that you seek to enter into our lives, to disrupt our lives, and to show us a different us, to make us new, to transform us, and then to set us up for a new success, 
and to give us broader meaning in the world. Today, Lord, as Pastor Donovan, I ask that you go today in the place in the human heart where I was not designed to go, but only you. And that, Lord, you would do the work today that you were only designed to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So at this point of scripture, uh, at verse 7, it actually drops us off at a dramatic point. Paul at this point had encountered Jesus Christ. He had encountered God. He had encountered the Holy Spirit by this very bright flash as he was traveling on his way to Damascus. This bright flash had appeared before him. He fell to his knees in blindness. And then his friends that were around him at the time that likely was traveling with him to Damascus um, were amazed at this uh, kind of uh, at this um, amazing moment that Paul had experienced. Not only had they witnessed this flash with Paul, um, but they also had witnessed this voice that almost sounded like it was coming from heaven speaking to Paul. And Paul responding back to this voice saying, Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? You see, before this very dramatic moment that we're dropped off at today, Paul is a man who has a quite impressive resume. What, Pastor Donovan? Didn't he kill Christians? (laughs) He did. But he had quite the impressive resume for the first century. He was a Pharisee, which means that which means that he was well studied, well versed in scripture, that he was well studied in theology. He understood the nature of God. He understood what God was doing in the world. He could probably recite to you what all the prophets were preaching and proclaiming in the first century churches. He was very well studied. He followed the moral code uh, to a T or he, at least he did his best. He helped or sought to help people live a faithful life, a faithful life in the Jewish religion and faith tradition. He felt so strongly about this that he joined or was a part of a teaching group called the Pharisees, people who would uphold or adhere to and enforce moral law code and moral tradition and scripture in in the church of Jerusalem. But not only in the church of Jerusalem, but throughout all of Israel. And it's in his work doing this, he felt that it was his life mission to help people learn more about God in this fashion. In this fashion according to rules and rites and rituals. And particular types of ways of knowing God and following God and understanding who God is in the world. He felt like it was his life, like it was his life's mission and purpose. He had great passion for bringing this news about how we're to adhere to Jewish law, to be faithful and to be righteous before God. He felt so much like he should do this, that this new movement that was on the rise of these Christians who are being healed and experiencing miracles and being transformed, he needed to eradicate. He needed to do away with because it was a direct threat to the to the life that he lived, the the life that he was taught to have and the life that he was encouraging other people to have. The life that he was enforcing in the church of Jerusalem, that these new followers of the way of followers of the way are becoming a threat to this new to, to his current faith tradition. So he decides to eradicate it. He goes throughout all of Jerusalem, persecuting Christians, jailing Christians. He goes to all ends to make sure that this movement is stopped because he truly believes that this is a movement of man. But this is not. God is at work. God is on the move and you can't stop God's move. So Paul decides to get a letter from the the high priest in the from the temples, 
He gets a letter to go to Damascus where the move is spreading to where the churches are now growing. He gets the okay from the priest to go there to jail Christians. And while on the way, he has this moment here where he experiences this flash. He's thrown, uh, he's thrown uh, to the ground and he's blinded. He experiences this moment of blindness. Well, in that same moment of experience and blindness, he hears this voice from the Lord that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, during this time speaking to Paul, asking, why are you persecuting me? Is asking, why are you persecuting this good news, this movement, this new thing that God is doing in the world, killing Christians and followers of this new way that the work that God is up to in the world, you're hindering. When you persecute Christians, you therefore are persecuting me because these are my people. I'm doing a new thing. Why are you persecuting me? Well, he immediately cries out, Lord. And as he cries out, Lord, he recognizes Jesus, the same Jesus that he was persecuting people against. He is now experiencing for the first time. Jesus is shown to him. And as Jesus is shown to him, something happens. Something happens. His life is changed, but his heart is also changed. His heart is also changed. Jesus in this moment is showing that Paul is a persecutor of the church, of this new movement of God, but then also is, is but is also very sick in his heart. That has this heart of deterioration, this heart that's filled with hate towards people. This heart that needs renovating, this heart that needs love, this heart that needs the full work of God in it. So he says that I'm going to send a person to you. I'm going to bring you into a relationship with the man named Ananias because you're in a blinded state. You see, whether it was God or he just went blind because of of this flash, went blind to who he was, went blind to himself, both physically and sort of spiritually. And as he's blinded, he is given this message how he will experience healing through this new brother, this follower of the way, this person who understands and knows what Christ is doing in the world, who had already gone to Damascus to preach the good news. And that in light of that, he will experience a brand new life. In the Christian church, we understand this word to be conversion. And I got to tell you that I actually have a quite tacky relationship with this word, uh, with this word conversion. Uh, growing up, I didn't, well, I didn't grow up Christian. So oftentimes when I would hear this word, I thought of it as how the world defines it. Uh, turning from one set of beliefs to the next or being persuaded against, key word persuade, being persuaded against your current lifestyle in hopes to turn to a brand new one. The church's or the Christian church's definition of conversion or what it means to convert involves a spiritual formation or a spiritually formative process um, or lifestyle that helps us to constantly repent of our sins and turn to Christ in faith. I like that definition. The difference between this conversion experience that the world sort of lays out for us and that we understand in our Christian context is that in in the world's definition, the focus is on persuasion. But in the Christian context, the focus is on spiritual journey, is on spiritual life. That in spiritual life with Christ, our hearts, we as people, followers of the way, are able to have our hearts renewed and transformed to go through this process of change in light of our experience with Christ. What God is doing is showing us himself, full self, but then bringing us to this place where in our heart we are changed, we are transformed. And that happens with Paul. 
He's brought into brand new relationships. He's brought into this brand new understanding of who Jesus Christ is. This new understanding of what God is doing in the world. And yes, it involves him. And that he's blind to this old way of thinking about God and experiencing God. And it's brought into this brand new knowledge, this full knowledge of who God truly is and what God really seeks to do with love versus hate. God is on full display. The passion and the zeal that he once had for this God is now being transformed. Conversion in the Christian context can be identified by some scholars and theologians as this. I think this is a good working um, uh, process. And if you want the notes or the resources for this, I'm happy to give it to you. But I think this is a good working process for the Christian today, for what we experience in our life of faith in light of us experiencing Jesus and, and, and Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, showing us God's self. That it's this process where we are, um, where we abandon our false securities. And we're invited to adopt a new pattern in life in light of experiencing the true Jesus. I think this is true with Paul. That after he had experienced Jesus, there was a moment in his life during this season, who knows how long it had taken. But during this uh, this season, this time where he was forced to break away from the life that he had once knew, the, the, the message and the life, the God that he once knew. That's abandon that now for a brand new way of seeing God to adopt new patterns and to get rid of false securities, which was the law. Then he experienced this moment of deep vulnerability, this moment where both he and this man named Ananias came into a, a vulnerable place together so that both their hearts could be dealt with, could both their hearts could be examined by God. See, God spoke to Ananias and said that I want you to go and visit this man who's persecuting the church, this man who hates Christians and in fact probably hates you. (laughs) And so he goes in vulnerability after experiencing God in that moment and does and acts and does exactly what God wants for him to do and acts faithfully. And then Paul, in this blind, vulnerable place, responds to the Lord and said, I want you to go and meet this man named Ananias. For he's going to be the person that's going to usher in this moment of healing and of transformation for you. And he does. This moment of vulnerability that it takes for us to be in this sensitive place where God, this sensitive and open place with God, where God can really do some work and show us new things. And then he goes from this dark moment to this moment of great light. This moment where he's blinded and right, he's he's blinded and he's unaware of who he is. He's unaware of the world around him. But then sort of spiritually, he gets to this place where after Ananias lays his hands on him and heals him and he regains his vision, he regains vision and he sees his brother differently. He sees this man differently. He sees Christians differently, these followers of the way differently. He, He even understands and sees God differently after this. That perhaps what he had experienced before was a dark place or a confusing place or an unknown place or or a place where we had no clue what God was doing or what God was up to. We thought we had the market corner. We were on our high horse. But then in light of experiencing Jesus and allowing Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, to truly work on us, provided this moment of vulnerability to show us a brand new way. And God does that. He shows Paul a brand new way, changes his identity, works on his identity, brings him into a brand new community of believers and sets Paul up for great success. 
After this, he leads Paul or Saul. It's interchangeable. He leads him in love. God fills Saul's heart with love, with, with love and takes the lead with love in his life. Have you ever heard the idiom get back on your horse? I was listening to a story. I was sharing this message with uh, one of my colleagues this week, and they were explaining to me uh, that there was this moment that they had where they were on a horse, had gotten knocked <laughs> off of a horse. Uh, and then the next day was encouraged by uh, their dad to get back on the horse. To, to re, not to necessarily relive the experience, but to, to have a brand new opportunity to do something new. To, to, to shake off the things of old and to put on something brand new and to allow for this new experience to allow us to ch- chart a brand new territory. To get off of your horse and to get on a brand new one. I think that what, I think that's what God is doing with Saul in this story. He knocks him off of his horse, changes his heart, takes him through this transformative experience and puts him on a brand new horse. He says, all right, Saul, get on your horse, man. And he changed his direction. He took that same zeal and that same passion that he had for persecuting Christians and said that I'm going to give you my love. You're going to get back on your horse and I'm going to set you in a brand new direction. And not only will you persecute these people, uh, you will not persecute these people, but you will love them. And not only will you love them, but you will reach them. Ah. Amen. Not only will you love them, but you will reach them. He said, he says in the scripture text that I will use Saul as the instrument. I will use Paul as a vessel to do my work in the world. But I'm going to let Saul experience it first. I'm going to show myself. I'm going to let you experience me and I'm going to let you have my entire heart. I'm going to fill you with my love, fill you with my heart. And I'm going to let you lead in love. So what's the point? What's the point in light of those three things? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) That God wants to fill our heart with wonder. God wants to fill our heart. God wants to fill our eyes with wonder. When we are revealed to God in a new way and we experience God in a new way in our hearts, our lives are never the same. We experience a brand new God. And are aware of the brand new things that God wants to do, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Because you never know who God may be calling you to reach. Amen.